Walk the talk. Romans 12, 9 to 13. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints given to hospitality. Let us pray. Father, seal to our hearts these precious truths that the Apostle Paul has given us in this small little paragraph. Help us to learn to walk the talk for Jesus' sake. Amen. When you come to a subject like this, it's always uh, kind of different because people don't understand necessarily what walk the talk is. I like the little, uh, the little clip Marianne put in the bulletin, walk the talk. I guess you could put a, another subtitle on that, watch your step. <clears throat> there's, a, there's a verse in the Bible that says every way of a man is right in his own eyes. So therefore, most people think they're doing everything the right way all the time, whether we like to admit it or not. So someone said, no one is perfect. That's why pencils have erasers. <laughs> Psalm 21, 2, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. That's the verse I just quoted. Someone said, boy, figure this one out. I am a nobody. Nobody is perfect, therefore I'm perfect. <laughs> you can't win for losing. That's right. It's no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is our preaching, said Francis of Assisi. You can preach a better sermon with your life than with your lips, said Oliver Goldsmith. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. <laughs> Verse 1 and 2 of our chapter really gets the starting point better for us. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is a good way to start this message on walk the talk. So let's get into it. As I read those few verses from the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, there were 11 things that he specified and I believe they are all very, very necessary if we really intend to walk the talk. The first one is love without hypocrisy. In other words, it's genuine. Don't pat someone on the back and say something you don't really mean. It means not to be fake. Have you ever watched the Antique Roadshow? I am impressed over and over again how many times people come and say, well, this is from the Ming dynasty. And then the guy says, no, it was just made yesterday. 
Not only is love without hypocrisy, it's genuine, it's, it's not fake, but it's sincere. I love a verse in Philippians 1.10 that the Apostle Paul gave us, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Note, note the word sincere there. For we who speak Portuguese, that is such a special word. We love it down in Brazil. Um, it makes real sense in their language. You see, in, in Paul's time, when he wrote these words, the merchants that sold stuff out on the sidewalks, they sold a fine china. And the fine china uh, was really fine china, and it was really good, good, and that's why they called it sincere. That means, that means because some commercial men took the plates that were less good they had minute cracks in them, and they would take beautiful white wax and fill in all the cracks so that the plate looked absolutely impeccable. So the merchants knew that. So the ones who were sincere said, these plates are sincere. And down in Brazil, that makes so much sense because that means without wax. <clears throat> So love without hypocrisy, it's not sentimental froth, it's agape love, that's God's love. It doesn't wear a mask. Uh, Peter, Peter talks about it in, in 1 Peter 4, 8, above all things have fervent love for one another. Jesus said it in John 13, 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one, if you love one another. If you don't have it, get it. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given us Romans 5, 5. This love is not reciprocal. It gives and gives and gives again with sheer delight in doing so, and it never expects anything in return. This is the kind of love God wants us to show. You're not walking the walk, neither am I, if we don't have this kind of love. This is Calvary love. This is Jesus love. Only believers can have this love, and even they may not have it the way God wants them to have it because they may have sin in their lives. So let us be careful about this very, very first point. Number two, it says, hate evil. Verse 9, we have become, we have become dear people, desensitized to sin in this world the media, the movies, the radio, the TV, they have helped us get used to sin to the extent that we no longer are shocked by some things we see or hear. The only security against sin is to be shocked by it. I hope that you are. Some get awful close to sin, so close that they can, as close as they possibly can. A little boy prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, make me good, uh, not really good, but just good enough to keep from getting spanked. <laughs> Is that the way we face it? Sin does not serve well as a gardener of the soul. It landscapes the contour of the soul until all, all that is beautiful has been made ugly until all that is high is made low 
until all that is promising is wasted. Then life is like the desert, parched and barren. It is drained of purpose. It is bleached of happiness. Sin, then, is not wise, but wasteful. It is not a, not, not a gate, but only a grave. Psalm 97.10 says, You who love the Lord hate evil. What great advice. The third thing I notice in the list in verse 9 is cling to what is good. How does one do that? How do you cling to what is good? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, 22 says, Test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form, appearance of evil. That's a good idea. And here's the way you can do it. Uh, Maybe a simple thing, but I'll tell you, it tells us a tremendous lesson. A man was guilty of a serious crime, and he repented and was given an opportunity to be, this is a long time ago, to be set free and not die, provided he took a gourd, a gourd, full of water throughout the the whole village and marketplace and returned that night without spilling any of the contents. So here's my bowl of water, full of water, can't spill a drop. What do you think was on that man's mind that day? He didn't want to spill any of the water. If he did, it was death for him. And oh, what a wonderful lesson for us about clinging to what is good. We have played with sin long enough. It's about time we got down to business and understood that our spiritual soundness depends on how much we cling to that which is good. We better be Velcro Christians, dear ones, clinging to the Lord and his love. A fourth matter, Paul mentions in verse 10, be devoted to one another with brotherly love. Seems simple enough, doesn't it? Someone said this, To dwell above with saints in love, that will indeed be glory. To dwell below with saints we know, well, that's another story. (laughs) This is referring to the new family tie that we have in Christ, and I hope we realize that. Be kindly affectioned, devoted. MacArthur says this is a a devotion to other Christians with 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 a family sort of love. And and it's not, uh, it's not uh, based on personal attraction or desirability. Brotherly love is that relationship between brothers and sisters in the family. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, now about brotherly love, Paul said, we do not need to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by by God to love each other. So a good test is 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed From death to life, because we love the brethren, he who does not love his brother abides in death. Can we pass this test? One evening just before the great Broadway musical star, uh, Mary Martin, was to go on stage in South Pacific, a note was handed to her. It was from Oscar Hammerstein. Who, all that, who at that very moment was on his deathbed, 
The brief note simply said these words, Dear Mary, a bell's not a bell till you ring it. A song is not a song till you sing it. Love in your heart is not put there to stay. Love isn't love till you give it away. How about it, dear Christians? Are we giving away the love of Christ to others? I hope we are. The next item, number five, that Paul refers to is says in verse 10, in honor giving preference to one another. Wow, it's a tough, tough chore he lays on us. This verse, if obeyed, evaporates jealousy. See verse three, verse three says, not to think of himself more highly than they ought to think. I love this story, a little, a little, two little girls. A, a, a Bible was going to be the prize in a spelling contest. And so one of the girls was from a well-to-do family and the other was from a very poor family. <clears throat> Susan was the well, from the well-to-do family and Betty was the little girl from poverty. So when the contest came, Susan misspelled a word on the test and Betty won the prize. So on the way home, Susan's mother said, Susan, don't you know how to spell that word? Couldn't you, couldn't you spell that word okay? Yes, mother. Well, then why didn't you? Well, because Betty is very poor and she needs the Bible and she doesn't have any money and so I misspelled the word so Betty could have the Bible. Well, what made, what made you do that, Susie? She said, well, my Sunday school teacher said this in her Sunday school lesson, in honor, preferring one another. So I thought I'd try it, and I'm, I'm glad I did. And a few days later, Susan received a birthday present, a beautiful Bible, and on the fly leaf was written the text, in honor, preferring one another. The sixth thing he mentions in verse 11, is serving the Lord. Oh, that's great. This is an active service, my friend. This, it is to be done diligently, it says. Diligently, not lacking in diligence, not lacking in any zeal. You've probably heard a lot about D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody worked very, very hard. You also know he was a, he was a big man. He had a hulk of a body. And the story is told that one night his prayer was this. As he rolled his great bulk into bed, he said, Lord, I am tired. Amen. <laughs> that was it. He was gone. But boy, could he work for Jesus. John Wesley, the great, the great evangelist, rode his horse 60 to 70 miles a day and preached an average of three sermons a day. And when he got to be 85, he was concerned that he couldn't get up at 5 o'clock to pray and study some more. When Alexander McLaren went into his study, he would take off his slippers, believe this or not, and put on working men's shoes in his office because he knew that a minister of God is to be a working man. 
The service, this service is to be done with the, with the right attitude. This is to be done with a fervent spirit. One of, the old, one of the oldest blights on earth is lack of enthusiasm. You've probably seen it. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for in the place where you are going there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge or wisdom. This is kind of sad when we're talking about this subject. A very slow-moving clerk did not show up one day, and someone asked the boss, the boss's son, where he was. He, excuse the English, he ain't working, said the kid. No more. He ain't working no more, was the reply. Would you have any, anyone in mind for the vacancy, inquired the, the customer. Nope. Eddie didn't leave no vacancy. Isn't that sad? To be gone and no one even misses it because you never did anything. Never did anything. What a shame. The average person puts only 25% of his energy and ability into his work. Some in serving Christ are so weak that if they left the community, their absence would scarcely be noticed. How sad. How sad. The seventh thing that Paul mentions is rejoice in hope, rejoices in hope. Verse 12, it is optimistic. They say a glass is, these kind of people say a glass is half full instead of half empty. See the difference? These, these are steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because they know that their labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. These are the ones who when sorrowing are rejoicing who are poor but make many rich and who have nothing but possess all things because they are rejoicing in hope. These look from the, they look from the gloom to the glory. These look to the future, not just the fog. These are the ones that look to the sunrise and not the sunset. There is hope, thank God. There's a favorite verse in the Bible that a lot of people like. It says, and it came to pass. I like that. A great artist was asked, what is the best picture you've ever painted? You know what his answer was? The next one. That's pretty good. But then they ask another one, um, why did you fail? Why, why, why did you say that? Well, he said, I failed. Why did you say that? Well, because I've lost any hope of, of uh, Im improvement. So see, some people... Just give up. I heard of one man that did a statue and he, and, he, and he sat there bawling like a baby. Why? Well, because he said, I can't make one any better. That was the best thing he could ever do, ever, again. So he was just crying. So that's not a good way to rejoice and hope, folks. Christ is in you, the hope of glory, Paul tells us in Titus 2.13 looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul gives the eighth, the eighth point in his message here on, um, on Walk the Talk, and it's called Patient in Tribulation in verse 12. Patient in Tribulation. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, we've already uh, quoted that many a time. Don't be, um, don't be uh, moved, my brethren. Be steadfast, always abounding. Wait on the Lord. 
I love, I love Psalm 37, 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. James 1, 2 says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And a lot of people know that very well. The blacksmith keeps the, keeps the metal in the flame to make it pliable. God keeps tribulation coming our way to make us pliable to his will. So don't give up when the pressures come in whatever you're doing. And you know the story of the oyster and the little grain of sand. And every few weeks or months, a glob of this substance comes over to hide the grain. And it keeps on coming and keeps on coming. And finally... To cover up a piece of sand, the oyster has made a beautiful pearl. You see, where it takes patience for the oyster to cover the frustration that it was having, and we must be really patient in tribulation that God has a reason for what he's doing. Take it joyfully because there's a reason why it's done that way. There's another one. Point nine says, continue steadfast in prayer. Verse 12. Paul taught us to pray without ceasing. What a wonderful thing. A servant girl, a servant girl was asked in a, in a hotel one time, or wherever she worked, um, she was very busy, and she, she had very few opportunities to even serve the Lord except just to pray. That's all she did. She just prayed. And someone asked her, well, do you, do you feel frustrated because you can, you can do so little for the Lord? And her answer was immediately, oh, no. She says, I take the newspaper to my bedroom each night and says, I open up the maternity section and I pray for the couple who's going to get married, asking God to bless them and bring them together in Jesus and have a wonderful God-honoring marriage. Then I open up the section to the, to, the, um, to the maternity section that says, Oh, God, bless that precious little one. Help that family to bring this one up in the love and admonition of the Lord. And then she says, I go over to the, to the obituary column, and I read the list, and I pray for each one that God will minister to them somehow in their bereavement, and they will turn to the Lord. What a way to use our time for the Lord Jesus. Just take a newspaper and make it into your prayer request. We have, we have two prayer meetings a week around here. On Wednesday night, we have one in this. Well, it starts downstairs. We meet up here. We, we just have a great time. Up here, we usually finish in prayer in different groups here. And on Thursdays, we meet over in the room right across the hall for prayer meeting. It's great to continue steadfast in prayer. Well, Paul gives us the 10th one in verse 13, says, helping the needy saints. That's a good one. Sharing mutually with others. Therefore, as we, Galatians 6.10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. I love that. We had a dear lady in, in Brazil. Her name was Rita. She was saved late in life, became a marvelous Christian. We used to take her to church pick her up at the old folks' home in Natal and drive her to church. And as we would get near the building, 
in the church. She didn't know if it was near, but she'd say, Mr. Ralph, are we getting near the church? And I'd say, yeah, Rita, we're just about a couple of blocks away. She'd say, praise the Lord. She was so happy to get to church. But she, the, the subject here is helping the needy saints. When our son Raleigh went home after high school and, went and, and, and got into college, Rita, who was on welfare, welfare made nothing. She sent money to our son to help him with his school. Helping the needy saints. Wow. Very touching. Someone asked R.G. Letourneau's wife one time why she didn't have a better type of coat, dress coat to wear. Her answer was, I can't afford it. Of course, you know that her husband, who was a millionaire, he couldn't afford it because their money, 90% of their money went to God's work. The man who, in this church, came here years ago and asked our pastor, whose name was Funkhauser, incidentally, said, uh, Pastor Funkhauser, I'm looking for someone to help us on the Amazon River. Do you know of anyone? And he says, well, Ralph and Margie just went to Phoenix, Arizona. I'll call them and see. So I called. Uh, he called us, and we said, yeah. So we came back up here, and, and the parsonage sat right back here, which, which is now on Legal Street or Lane, whatever they call it. Uh, he showed us the picture of their work in Brazil, and later on the Lord took us to Brazil. We stayed for 25 years. But when that man, John Slinner, came home for furlough, one time a guy met him at the airport and says, I got a car for you. And, of course, John was ecstatic. Nice to, when you come home, you don't have a car. But he had a car for John. So John took the car, handed, got the keys, and, and uh, John said later, Ralph, as I was coming out of the airport entrance, I saw the man who gave me the car walking home. He gave him his car. He had no car. John Slinner now had the car. Distributing to the necessity of saints. Isn't it amazing? When God touches someone to help others in need, what a blessing it is. The last one on the list is, says hospitality, verse, thir verse 13. In the early church, this was very important. In today's in today's culture, it also is. It's to house missionaries, to guest speakers. And Peter said, 1 Peter 4, 9, use hospitality one to another without grudging. What a great admonition that is, I'll tell you. So I guess, dear ones, the conclusion is this. Are you willing to take seriously these things that we've looked at this morning and really learn to walk the talk? I read of a story that took place obviously a while back because when you get on a bus now you I don't think you get change back do you get change or do you get tokens I don't even know but this this preacher preached at night in the church let's say he preached in our church and the next day he didn't have a car so he went to the bus stop and got on the bus on the bus and um, paid his fare and got the change back and went and sat down and then later on he noticed uh oh the change is not right they gave me too much money in exchange, the change. So when things were calmer, he went up and he said uh, to the driver, Sir, you gave me too much money. And the driver said, I know I did, because I was in church last night and I heard you preach. And I wanted to see if you really meant what you said. 
So as he gave the money back to him, the man said, I'll see you in church. So the driver came to church the next night, and when the invitation was given, he received Jesus as his personal Savior. You see, walking the talk, it does make a difference. Practicing what you preach does make a difference. I trust that you will do it. Let's pray. Father, in the quietness of this hour, I ask you to speak to our hearts, dear Lord, and help people even now who have kind of fussed and worried about some of these 11 things we've spoken of today. Lord Jesus, please convict us today and make us the kind of believers that will learn to walk the talk. And as I, as I close in prayer, you who are having trouble in this area, please just now raise your voice quietly from your heart to the Lord. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Help me to live differently and to walk the talk that would glorify Jesus in my life. Lord, seal to our hearts everything that we've, that we've read today from your word and a few things that maybe we've listened to that would help us, help us to glorify you and to learn to be not just hearers of the word as James said, but may we be doers also. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>